Hello, everyone. My guest today is Doug Winter. He's an entrepreneur or founder entrepreneur from the US and he sold his first startup for $90 million and is now on his way to building a billion dollar business. And um, he's currently the founder and CEO of Seismic, which is a sales enabling uh, platform. They are currently doing around 200 million in revenue, have like a thousand employees and offices all around the world. And he's a really humble person uh, with a lot of experience in the industry, he has yeah, built up multiple companies, acquired companies, and is actively investing also in startups. Very interesting storyline, very interesting experience that he has made in the past and a very interesting mission and vision for the future that this guy has. So um, looking forward to getting new feedback on the show and looking forward to know what uh, you took from it. So, Doug, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, nice to have you. So uh, where, where are you right now in the world? Uh, I am based in Southern California in San Diego, but I happen at the moment to be retreating up into the mountains uh, outside of Lake Tahoe in Nevada. Very nice. I think a lot of people would love to be there right now. Um, but that's not what we're here for today. So, Doug, you're a founder, CEO. I think you're also investing in some companies and you have built up multiple yeah, startups successfully, I would say, or quite successfully, I would say. Um, so give us some input on, on who are you, what's your story, and, and how did you get to this place where you are today? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> I was born in the Midwest of the United States uh, in, in amongst the farm, farm fields. Um, my mother was an educator and my father was an, an engineer um, building bridges and, and dams and roads. And so I learned an early, at an early age to appreciate education. And I was fortunate to be able to have a, an, an excellent education uh, experience, became an engineer myself. And um, as I was in high school, uh, my father actually started a company with some of his friends uh, doing, uh, doing uh, construction, actually hazardous waste cleanup. Um, not very glamorous, uh, but, uh, but it, was, uh, it made a big impression on me uh, as, as a young person getting ready to go out into college and, and university. And uh, in that, uh, I, I recognized in him a, a spark uh, and an excitement about what he was doing professionally that I had never seen before. And uh, I re realized later that that's the sort of the difference between, you know, working for a small company and, and a company that he had started versus working for someone else's company. And, um, and, and, you know, that made a big impression on me as I went throughout my, my career. So uh, it took me a few years of working for other companies uh, before I, I had the courage, frankly, to, uh, to jump uh, and start Uh, working for a startup, one that was the first one was started by a, a friend of mine from graduate school. Uh, <clears throat> that was in the dot com days, and it actually, you know, was a, a very uh, exciting ride up, and then also a very uh, traumatic ride back down as it crashed during the dot com crash. And uh, you know, I, I've often reflected back as uh, what an incredible experience that was, getting to watch sort of an entire life cycle of a company in a fairly short period of time, I think three years or so, we got to see it go from, from funding and crazy growth to, you know, to, to uh, liquidating and selling off, you know, the, the office furniture, you know, and I got to, I got to. What was the company called? What was the first company? Uh, the, yeah, the company was called One World Software Solutions, and it was a uh, software development outsourcing firm. So um, it was, uh, 
taking, uh, helping companies mostly in North America build their software products where they were short of resources. So leveraging offshore teams uh, in the Middle East, actually, and uh, and later in China. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was exciting time because there were so many startups that needed resources and we were able to help them. Uh, but then we came to find out later that uh, many of those companies uh, couldn't afford to pay us when the dot-com bubble burst. And so we had uh, a lot of revenue and not much cash. And uh, that was a hard, uh, hard, hard lesson because I think we had built a, a really great company. The founder there was, I, th- I think, had a, had a great vision and had built a great culture. And, and uh, it was an exciting ride. But uh, unfortunately, we missed a few key, key uh, elements of sort of um, finance uh, that uh, that ended up dooming the business, but great learning experience. Got it. Yeah, very interesting, very cool. And I think yeah, probably a lot of lot of learnings from that time. So you then or you guys sold the company, finished it up, and what what happened then? Yeah. What did you do next? Yeah, I left. Um, actually, started a a company in a very similar vein, uh, working with um, some uh, other friends that had been together with me at One World. And we picked up the pieces and we started a, a similar business called Objectiva Software Solutions, uh, which was um, doing the same business model, uh, working on helping other companies build uh, their products. Uh, we we uh, built our development centers with uh, a friend and classmate of mine in, in, in China. Um, ultimately, uh, you know, we, we opened that business and started operating that business uh, on August 1st of 2001, which turned out to be uh, 41 days before September 11th. So right when we were getting going, the world economy screeched uh, to a halt uh, yet again. Um, so another sort of challenging uh, set of circumstances. Um, fortunately, we were able to survive. We had a few good clients. We kept going. Um, and ultimately, we uh, sold the business uh, to one of our clients, which was a small a publicly traded company called Document Sciences. It was based down in San Diego. <clears throat> and so is that DocuSign, in, right? Is that the company called DocuSign right now? No, no, no. Docu- Document Sciences. Ah, okay, got it. Uh, much, much smaller, um, although it was publicly traded. Uh, it had spun out of Xerox. And uh, they, we were helping them rebuild their product as they'd run into some competitive challenges. Um, and ultimately, they decided they liked our team and they brought us in to kind of help um, reinvigorate the management team. And, uh, and so we, uh, we started um, helping them, you know, really turn the business around. Um, it was there that uh, on that journey where I reunited with one of my co-founders at Seismic, um, Ed Cowan. Uh, who uh, I had met at One World, and he had gone off and done his his separate path, and I had gone off and done my separate path, and we rejoined uh, again at Document Sciences. So I think one of the lessons I've learned as an entrepreneur is is the importance of the the network, the friends, and the other uh, folks that you meet throughout your career, and and you know how uh, you know building a team that you can count on is, is such a critical part of success, and so. Um, you know, being able to reconnect with Ed and, and help turn document sciences around uh, was, a, was an exciting step on the journey. Um, ultimately, we, uh, we actually tried to buy document sciences. We tried to do a, a management-led buyout, um, but ultimately... So, so uh, just for yeah. context, what, what, yeah. did the, what did document sciences do back then? Yeah, so document sciences, I mentioned, had spun out of Xerox. 
And what it was, was the software. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. It was a software that would basically drive the big printers. So Xerox was selling printers and um, to some extent selling ink and other consumables. And in order to drive a printer that can spit out, you know, a hundred thousand pages per hour, you need software that can generate a hundred thousand pages of hour, uh, an hour. And so document sciences was that software. So um, think about things like producing bank statements um, or um, insurance policies. Now, now we do, now we don't print those things anymore. We email them, but, uh, but back then they were all printed and, um, and it was a you know fairly uh, stressful period of time where the banks had to get the statements out in a short window. And so um, it was yeah. critical mission, critical software, but, uh, but also kind of, kind of boring back office. <laughs> Got it. Got it. And uh, how, how did the story continue? So we, uh, we ultimately, we tried to buy the business. We thought uh, it was a small company that it shouldn't be public. It should be private. We were really excited about the turnaround that we had been able to, to, to do there. Uh, we had doubled the revenue. It was moving back in the right direction. Um, it was a category leader. Um, and, uh, you know, we had, uh, been uh, pretty successful with that. So we thought we could, we could, you know, get some, some private equity money. We could take it private, um, and continue to grow the business, uh, Unfortunately, or fortunately, as the case may be, we ended up instead uh, getting bought by EMC um, and became part of the Documentum team at EMC, where Documentum was enterprise content management software. And so uh, I led, together with my team, the integration of document sciences into, into uh, the Documentum stack and enterprise content management. And it was really there where we learned a lot about content. And the, the the serious problems of content management that existed at large enterprises, um, and uh, and frankly, the vision for for Seismic grew from that, which was uh, how can we help? Uh, you know, no one had had done what Salesforce had done for CRM. Um, you know, which is sort of make it easier to use, put it on the cloud as a new technology stack, uh, sell it as a subscription, a new business model, and really change the world. Right and You know, Workday had done that for human resources software and, and, and NetSuite and SAP and others were doing that for uh, ERP. Uh, but we felt like no one was doing that for in the area of content management. And if we could do that, it would be really well suited for the needs of front offices, sales and marketing teams that were really drowning in content and, and didn't have good tools. So that was the original vision for Seismic. And uh, after doing our time at EMC, integrating the product and, and uh, you know, doing our a silver or a golden handcuff uh, time, we uh, we decided to leave and, and start Seismic. Got it. Okay, very, very interesting. So how how did the first like month and years look at Seismic? Like what were your guys' vision? How did you guys start? And yeah, how did it go in the beginning? <clears throat> you know, getting uh, getting started is the scariest. Uh, it's the scariest part. It's also the most exciting part. And um so, you know, before we, before we left, we, we'd spent some time on, you know, weekends and nights sort of getting together and, and brainstorming uh, the idea of what we thought Seismic uh, could become. We had all kinds of different ideas, but as it started to really crystallize in, uh, in our heads, we got more serious about it. Um, we gave notice uh, at EMC that we were going to leave. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, the early days were really about refining the vision for the product, uh, building early prototypes, um, and, uh, and, and then starting in on, on serious work of engineering of actually building the product. So it was, you know, the first uh, nine months or so were really 
the team was locked in the locked in the basement, uh, writing code, um, and uh, you know, testing and, and giving feedback on and refining yeah. what we thought would be the right initial minimum viable product. So you guys raised money right away, or did you bootstrap it? No, we bootstrapped the business. Um, you know, we had had some uh, some varying uh, opinions on and varying degrees of success and experiences with uh, with taking money from from venture capital, and decided you know let's rather than than deal with that, let's focus on building a great product. And we were fortunate that we had you know built upon the success of. Uh, of Objectiva and Document Sciences, and we were in a position to be able to to fund the business initially. Um, we all, as founders, of course, took the one year with no salary and all of these things to try to get us going. Um, and we were you know, we were fortunate, I think, in our uh, entrepreneurial path uh, to uh, to have something to build upon, and so that gave us a little bit more cushion in which to be able to go uh, bootstrap and. And we, we bootstrapped it for about about uh, two and a half, three years, really, uh, where we were, you know, focused on initial customers, on building a, a minimum viable, pro viable product, getting feedback, starting to build the team. Um, and then at some point, uh, you know, we realized, uh, you know, uh, that uh, we had a great product, our customers loved it, and we had, you know, zero people in marketing and one and a half uh, person in sales. And the market opportunity was going to go right past us if we didn't if we didn't move faster. And so that's when we decided to to, to head down the road with, uh, with venture capital. Got it. So wh who who was uh, the the first investor, and how much did you guys collect? So our first in investment, you know, we went uh, we went up Silicon Valley, uh, being in San Diego. There's not a lot of early stage venture capital firms there. Uh, it's a short flight and, and up. One, one more question. How, how big was the company after two and a half years? Like how, how many people did you guys have and how did it look like? So we were probably about 25 people at that point in time. We were about a million and a half in, uh, in revenue in ARR. Uh, at that point in time, we had some early uh, great customers, but most of them were pretty small. Uh, big companies, small, uh, small contracts. Um, and, uh, but they were, they, they were, I think, um, maybe something that stood out a little bit was, you know, due to our background, we had focused on, on big established companies as our customers, right? We didn't do what, what a lot of times happens in, in, in Silicon Valley with startups is they sell to each other, right? So they have a logo list of, of a bunch of small, other small startups and they're selling to each other. Um, you know, we sold to the likes of, of General Electric and, you know, big pharmaceutical companies and a couple of financial services companies. And, uh, and so while the contracts themselves weren't huge, the, the, the logos were uh, caught people's attention. And when we told the story of what we were doing, you know, that was able to, to get, I think, uh, a little more interest uh, for, for our early rounds. Uh, you know, not. Not being from Silicon Valley, we had to travel up there. I would travel up. Uh, it's an easy flight, one hour maybe flight, and uh, and go and, and pitch to the different venture capitalists. I wasn't good at it. I was relatively inexperienced. And so, you know, a lot of trial and error, um, getting introduced through referrals and from friends. You know, consistent feedback that I heard, you know, back in this time, this was 2013, I heard, I heard two questions Uh, every time, every, everyone that I spoke to asked me two questions. They said, you're going to move your company up to Silicon Valley, right? Uh, you know, they felt that the only place you could really be successful starting a company was in Silicon Valley. 
And the other question that they asked at that time was, uh, you're going to do a freemium model with your product. And, uh, you know, our answer to both of those questions was, you know, no. So I had to kind of, uh, dance around that fact a little bit. Um, but fortunately, uh, one, one company, one firm, uh, Jackson Square uh, Ventures based out of, uh, out of San Francisco and partner Pete Solvik, uh, who had been the former CIO at Cisco, you know, he had the vision. Uh, you mentioned DocuSign earlier. He was one of the first investors at DocuSign. So he kind of understood the, the interesting nature of enterprise software and what we were doing around content and had the vision to see past the fact that we were based in San Diego and and we weren't doing a freemium model. We were focused on bigger enterprises, and so that's how that's how we ended up uh, with with Pete as our first investor in, in 2013. And then from there, once you're plugged in and, and uh, other VCs know who you are, then then suddenly they're they're calling you, and uh, and it becomes much easier to get subsequent financing. Got it. Okay. So how much did you guys initially raise? Our first round, our Series A, was four and a half million. Um, and we told uh, we told them our goal was to put in place a sales and marketing model that we thought was a scalable one, and prove it by tripling the business. and uh, And we gave ourselves two years to do that. Um, so you know, we we something that I've always found to be important is when you're raising money is to to be clear with the investors. Here's what you want to do with the money and why you you need it and and what you're going to accomplish. So you can over time, build credibility with them that you deliver on your promises. Yeah, got it. Okay, so now t 10 years later, no, like seven, seven, eight years later, yep. where did you guys stand now and, and how was the journey over the past seven, eight years? Uh, you know, Thomas, it's, it's more than I could have imagined. Um, you know, that uh, sometimes Pete will remind me that when I gave him our, our first pitch book and, you know, the the obligatory, here's what we're going to do over the next five years. He said, you know, no one ever beats those plans. You know, they always uh, put in hyper aggressive plans. And he said, he pulled it back out a few years ago. He said, you guys beat the plans that you gave me uh, back in 2013. Um, it's been a crazy journey. Uh, we are now uh, a $200 million uh, revenue business. Um, we have uh, over a thousand uh, employees uh, scattered across uh, the globe. Um, we have, uh, you know, offices in, uh, in, in Dusseldorf and Paris and London um, and a number of cities in the United States uh, and, and Toronto. Um, we've, uh, we've grown, you know, quite, uh, quite quickly and, and had to navigate a number of transitions as the business grew. You know, it's not, uh, it's not the same company. It's not the same job, but, you know, working really hard to try to keep the culture and keep the, the, the growth going and, most importantly, keep our customers uh, happy and, and excited and coming back. Got it. No, very interesting story. What did you say? I mean, that's probably hard to hard to put it into one sentence, but what would you say were the three learnings that, that you personally made in the past? Yeah, yeah. eight years. I think one of them is, uh, is, is know who you are and importantly, know who you're not. So that first Series A question, you know, are you going to build a freemium model of your product? You know, we were focused on selling to large enterprises. That's who we were. It was in our DNA and that's the product that we built and it didn't suit itself to that model. And even though the, the whole trend at that period in time was, you know, do freemium, do freemium, that just didn't fit us and we, and we knew it. And, uh, and, and, you know, rather than get discouraged or persuaded to go down a path based on the trend in the market, we stayed, you know, with 
with where, you know, who we were and what we knew we were, we were good at. Um, I think number two is it's, it's all so much of it is about the people and, uh, you know, being able to tap into a network of folks that I had worked with in the past, um, you know, who, who knew, who knew me, who knew the other founders, you know, in the early days, that's, that's so critical. Um, I remember watching a peer company of mine that received funding, series A funding about the same time. And I knew the CEO and, uh, you know, right when they received their series B funding, like two weeks later, they did a press release where, you know, we've got a new CFO and a new head of product and a new head of engineering and a new head of marketing and a new head of sales. And I was sitting there thinking, wow, I can't imagine how you can grow a business when you have a whole team of people who are, I'm sure, very talented, but they don't know each other. They don't trust each other. They're not sure the roles, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the people and being able to build the right team early on, I think, um, I think is so important. Um, and then probably the third one would be, you know, in, pick your investors carefully. Uh, you know, you, you, you can't get, uh, you can't get divorced, um, from your, your investors and they're going to be your partners. And so, you know, beyond the cash beyond, you know, who's given me the best valuation and the best terms, you know, picture sitting around the boardroom table, trying to solve some hard problems, you know, four years from the day that you're, you know, that you're, you're first getting the money from that investor. And is this someone that you, that you respect, that you feel like you can learn from, and that you think has, is going to be able to help and add value. And we've been fortunate to, to have an, a phenomenal board and a phenomenal series of investors. And uh, I can't tell you how impactful that's been over the years. Got it. Yeah, no, it sounds pretty interesting and, and, and really cool. So now you're eight years in, where do you want to take the company in the next eight years or the next couple of years? You know, we're really focused on continuing to, to grow and capitalize on the market. You know, um, we are in a, a space that, uh, that didn't really exist uh, 10 years ago. Uh, sales enablement is, an, is a new category. It's in a new space. And that means there's still a lot of change happening. And, 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 um, but it's also a very large opportunity. And we feel like uh, we can build a billion-dollar revenue business. Uh, we feel like we could be the first or the, or the leader in the category by a good amount um, in terms of our growth. And uh, we feel like we have the opportunity to, to go public and, and uh, continue to grow and define uh, the category and, and build a, a lasting, enduring enterprise. So that's really what we're focused on. And I think, uh, you know, the, the world economy has changed, the work environment has changed, and it's really accelerated the move towards a digital workforce. And, you know, we sit right in the middle of that with the tools that help sellers be more efficient, uh, regardless of where they are. So really excited about what the next couple of years have in store. Got it. Yeah. Sounds, sounds super interesting. So I guess planning to raise more money. Um, well, we just, uh, we just completed a round, a uh, pretty significant round for us uh, with a partner um, based in Europe, actually, Premira. Um, wonderful firm. Uh, they were able to, you know, really uh, come to the table. Um, they have, uh, you know, deep pockets and uh, and a long term vision uh, for where we're going. And so I feel like we've we've uh, we may need additional capital, but I feel like we've got the partner, you know, and the, and the folks at the table right now that are going to be able to guide us through uh, probably a, a public offering. Uh, hopefully, not too far into the future. Got it. Got it. All right. So your so so seismic is basically your yeah main main focus, I would say. 
Uh, do you do anything else on the side, like angel investing into companies or, or stuff like that? Yeah, I left out the a little bit of the story in the Objectiva business that we built so many years ago. Um, when we left DMC, we actually bought that business back. And my business partner was managing it and I was on the board. Um, we recently sold it uh, to a, uh, uh, a German-based uh, system integrator and I'm called Allgaier, you're probably familiar with. Yeah. Um, so, so we finally, after uh, after all these years, uh, nearly 20 years with Objectiva, um, no longer part of of that business. Um, I'm very uh, excited to see them continuing and grow grow uh, as part of the uh, Algaier and uh, uh, company going forward. Um, so, no longer no longer have that side uh, side activity, but uh, but I am um, happy to participate and help some of my friends who are, are CEOs. Uh, you know, it's a at times a lonely job. And so um, I've built a network of, of other CEOs and, and become friends with them. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on a, a couple of boards. I've done a couple of small uh, angel investments um, myself. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, well, you know, 99% uh, of my time is focused on seismic. It's, it's nice from time to time to be able to wrestle with someone else's problems and give advice that you don't have to actually take yourself. You can just, uh, you can just act smart and wise and give the advice to someone else and, and leave them to actually have to deal with it. So I've enjoyed that, that, uh, that, um, increasingly over the last couple of years. Got it. Yeah, no, cool. I can, I can, I can totally manage that. Imagine that. Um, wh what do you say are your top, top three principles, um, that you apply to, to seismic like core business principles? Yeah, I'm I'm um, big on transparency. Uh, I uh, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and uh, you know the team I think uh, generally knows what where we are and how we're doing. Um, I try to share as much information with the the employees as I possibly can, so they know what's going on, both good things and bad things. Um, I feel like that trust is is really important in building a, a company. Um, I think it's very important that, you know, we maintain a team first culture and that, uh, you know, you see that at Seismic and that we celebrate success of others. Um, we have a, a tradition whenever we sign a new deal with a customer that the sales rep sends out a push pin uh, email. And it's, uh, it used to be that we would put a pin with the logo onto a, onto a board. Um, now we have too many logos for the board, but we send out virtual push pins. <laughs> And it talks about, you know, not about how great I am as a sales rep. It talks about all the people that helped me be successful. And um, they're always very inspiring and, and I think exciting to see. And that, that's, that's become an important part of our culture is, you know, we're, we're a team first, um, team over individual. Uh, and then finally, I think it's got to be about the customers. You know, you really just have to keep focus on the customers. Um, you know, I've got to hashtag happy customers buy more stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when we do upsells or cross sells of our products into existing customers, it's, it's the cumulative work of the entire organization, you know, building a better product, um, treating them well with customer success and support and training, selling them the right solution and doing it in a professional and ethical way. You know, all that comes together to help happy customers buy more stuff. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've built the business on 95% retention over the years and uh yeah. it's critically important for us to, to keep customers happy and coming back um it's a small world out there yeah no definitely really really cool insights where do you see the industry going in the next five years and the next 30 years 
<clears throat> I think it's uh, it's really interesting where software is right now because you know uh, AI and ML has gone from a, a science experiment and algorithms that really only a few companies could afford to to do anything with, um, and uh, and most of that being at fundamental levels, you know, speech recognition and image recognition, to a very practical. Uh, set of tools that can now be used to solve or help solve real business problems. Um, so I think we're going to see some pretty amazing things happen in terms of automation and intelligence um, that are going to uh, drive increasing efficiency that comes from software, uh, comes from the software space. Um, at the same time, the stock market is, uh, you know, at record highs. And so the large successful companies have, you know, virtually uh, unlimited resources at their disposal. Um, so, you know, how that's going to play out and how they're going to decide, you know, whether we're going to build giant conglomerate software companies that, you know, only a few of them that exist that swallow everything else or whether some of the, you know, the startups are going to be able to get uh, sufficient size to be able to remain independent. I think there's going to be an awful lot of activity uh, over the next uh, five years or so. And, you know, we're right in the middle of it, you know, act things that are that are focused on the, the bottom of the sales funnel and helping automate things at the bottom of the sales funnel. You know, there's a tremendous amount of, of investment dollars going into it, some really cool, exciting technology and companies that are being built, um, including Seismic. And I think it's going to be a, a, a pretty fun place to be for the next uh, the next few years. Yeah, got it. No, totally, totally uh, agree that. Okay, last question uh, before we wrap up here is, what role does does your personal brand uh, or did your personal brand play in the beginning uh, of, of founding Seismic and also maybe now as, yeah, eight years in? <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, the, the even the concept uh, eight years ago of a personal brand and, and what does that mean, I think was... Uh, while it was still there and still mattered, wasn't something that that really people talked about, right? Or thought about, or, or certainly took very few people took real proactive steps to build their personal brand as a, as an asset. Uh, you know, I think when we started Seismic, I think my my personal brand was was pretty limited, pretty small. My exposure was pretty small, and I'm a fairly uh, humble, low key. I'd rather sort of stay under the radar kind of person. Um, And, uh, you know, it, it extended to my reputation and what we'd been able to do at Objectiva and Document Sciences was able to allow us to, uh, you know, get introductions and have some credibility when we were talking to the early investors uh, and, and allowed us to, you know, to be able to get going. And, and um, certainly, I think our reputation in, in the sort of related areas helped us get some of our early customers to take a chance on us. Um, but probably the biggest impact was on convincing some really smart people to take a leap and join the seismic team when, you know, we had no funding and we had almost no revenue and, you know, they were really taking a big chance. And I think, uh, you know, my, my personal brand was probably the most impactful there. Um, as the company's grown, get a lot more exposure uh, and, uh, and visibility through, through, the, through the press and the marketing team that helps us and getting to, to, to speak with, with folks like yourself. Um, and I've, I've come to realize how important that is, uh, you know, while I still don't really relish the limelight, I realize it's important for the company. It's important for us in recruiting and bringing in great people to get the seismic story out. So it's something we, we spend more time on and I spend a little bit more time on than I, than I used to certainly. Got it. Cool. All right. 
so, Doug, let's wrap up with the Fantastic Four. Question number one, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? <laughs> Aren't all of the startups out here uh, following uh, Elon? Um, <laughs> that must be, that must be the, the only answer um, that you get. But as an, as an engineer, <clears throat> um, I respect his curiosity and uh, bravado to, as an entrepreneur, I respect his bravado to say, yeah, let's, let's do something crazy. Let's start a car company. Uh, let's do something crazy. Let's build rockets. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've always respected the, uh, the people that are willing to take on what everyone else in the world would say, well, that's a dumb idea. You know, how are you ever going to make money building cars? You know, how are you ever going to make money building rockets? Um, I, uh, I have so much respect for that. And, uh, you know, number one, the courage, um, or maybe the craziness. Um, but you know, number two, the, the smarts, uh, the intelligence to see those opportunities and dive in and look at old problems in an entirely new way. So, um, when I think about the, you know, the far out future, I know I think about some of the other really exciting problems uh, and big problems that are out there that no one's taken on, like, uh, like uh, clean water or food or, you know, some of the other things that I think are going to be uh, very impactful um, out into the future. And I, and I wonder, geez, if I, if I would ever have the, the courage and the energy or the resources to take on some of those big problems. So I find what he does to be incredibly inspiring and he is certainly uh, entertaining as well. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, all right. Next question. Uh, do you have any routines that you strictly follow on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, probably my only routine during, uh, during quarantine period is, uh, has been, uh, and, and the world's gotten turned upside down here has been getting out of the house at least once a day to go, go in the morning and get my, uh, and get coffee from the coffee shop. So I've perfectly good coffee machines at home, but I feel like, uh, I can put on my mask. I can go to the local coffee shop and uh and at least see other human beings live in three dimensions at least once a day so that one's <laughs> helped, helped me keep my sanity yeah and there is something special about that morning coffee in a coffee shop especially there if it's is. like a local one yes absolutely correct they know your name you say hello i never use the app to order because i'd rather you know go in and actually say hello to the folks and, and uh, yeah. it's, uh it's helped keep me sane through this uh this period of isolation Yeah, very true. Okay, next question. What's your favorite social media platform for business and what do you specifically use it for? Uh, I use, you know, really for social media, I'm, I'm uh, mostly uh, use LinkedIn. Um, I think I use it to better understand people um, before I, I meet them. I use it to, um, and I've made it a, a habit that I generally only accept LinkedIn invitations from people I've actually met, um, even if it's virtually. So that then that there's at least some real connection there. Um, but I also use it as a way to connect with people and, and say thank you for the meeting that we just had. I find it a little bit more personal than sending an email on things of that nature. You know, I do use Twitter. I use it uh, to, 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 for information gathering and things that are coming in. And I use it more to share my personal views. So I kind of, although it's some, some business uh, you know, posts go out through, 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 uh, through Twitter, I generally use it to more about my personal interests and passions and, and commentary than, than professional. Got it. Okay. Last question, Doug, what do you wish you knew when you were 20 years old? <laughs> what do I wish I knew when I was 20 years old? Um, 
I guess I, I, I really, as much as anything, I wish I could whisper in my ear and give myself a boost of, of an extra boost of confidence. Uh, yeah. You know, I've often said that being in a successful entrepreneur, you know, you can't be too smart because if you're really smart, you're you're going to see all the reasons why your business is going to fail, and you'll never you'll never uh, and you'll never start it. <clears throat> and I say that kind of as a joke, but the truth is that having the courage to to jump. Um, having the courage that uh, that you can be successful, or even if you fail, that you can still have success. That courage, I think, is the is the toughest part. And if I could have whispered in my ear at 20 years old and told myself to to go for it, I could have gotten my entrepreneurial career started, you know, 10 years earlier. And uh, I think that would have been that would have been interesting and uh, and served me well. So that that would probably be it. Got it. Yeah, it was great to have you in the show. Thank you so much, Doug. All right. Thank you, Thomas. I appreciate it.